Thank you, Rex Hunt, for your rock and rendition of our theme, and welcome to episode 35 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show, and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this podcast today is Alison Daniel Kim and Prue. Welcome back, Prue. Hey, it's great to have the team back again, and one day we'll have Tony on as well, so we'll have the complete set going on but we've also got a special guest reviewer here too and uh, i do apologize if you don't like this term but i'm calling you an awesome late show extra we have julie polter Hello, what is your attachment to the late show well i did work experience uh with the late show for two weeks um, when i was in year 10 in 1993 wow wow that is amazing how did you get that? Because I reckon there must have been a whole bunch of kids who wanted that gig. Absolutely. Uh, well, I didn't even really uh, think that it would be possible until I was watching uh, season one of The Late Show. And uh, I'm sure you recall on the news desk one day, there was Wendy, the work experience student, yeah. and, mm-hmm. uh, and she delivered a joke and uh, she got to be on the news desk. And I was watching that in year nine and my work experience was coming up the following year. And uh, from that moment when I saw Wendy, it was decided that I was going to get (laughs) my year 10 work experience on The Late Show. Uh, And, you know, I didn't go to an elite school with lots of showbiz connections, but uh, what I did have was the fact that my mum's cousin worked at the ABC. And, uh, you know, she worked somewhere deep in the admin department. However, what she did give me was the name of the production manager and uh, the address that I could write away to to ask for work experience on The Late Show. And uh, so I did. And, you know, you get... um, year 10 work experience you have a form letter um, asking you if it's possible and uh, so I did that but um, just to you know really give my application um, a bit of pizzazz I don't really tell anyone this but uh, because it's pretty lame now that uh, I look back on it but um, I really wanted to uh, express how keen I was so you know that uh, that joke that you see on cartoons where under stupid there's a picture of you in the dictionary (laughs) I photocopied a page of the dictionary under keen and I put a picture of oh. myself under keen <laughs> <laughs> in the dictionary. Hey guys, it was it was a colour photocopy, so uh, you know I really went the extra mile. Um, and uh, I'm pretty embarrassed to talk about it now because it does sound so lame. But uh, guess what? It worked. All right. <laughs> Yay. Yay. So they actually wrote back to to confirm this, or did they call you up? How did you find out? They wrote back. Um, I think they wrote to the school. And I just remember um, there was like a a knock on the door in English class. And uh, like my hands were shaking when I opened up this letter on the ABC stationery. And um, I opened it up and it said, you've been accepted. And I could not believe it. And everyone in class, they were all late show fans as well. Everyone was just uh, was just cheering and hugging me. And it was uh, just <laughs> such a beautiful moment. It was like Sydney winning the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> it was exactly like that. <laughs> so so what did you see while, while you were on work experience, Julie? I mean, did you witness them filming holy shit or, or making barjas or what? <laughs> What did you see them them do? Uh, well, I mean, a lot of it was really in uh, in the office, which was uh, the TV comedy headquarters, which was um, down on Glen Huntley Road in Elstonwick, 
not too far from the um, the ABC studios, but they had their own separate uh, workspace. So I saw a lot of meetings and a lot of writing, but the uh, the most memorable sketch that I was part of was uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Citizen Kane sketch. I, I think we'll be talking about mm. that later. Yeah, as far as um, an environment for work experience goes, you could not have better than that Arnold Schwarzenegger sketch because it had everything. It's got pyrotechnics, <laughs> it's got gunfire, it's got prosthetic makeup. And uh, so that set the bar pretty high for what work experience could be. So, uh, uh, and I was also part of um, the It's Academic sketch, which uh, was another iconic one. Um, I think that we'll be talking about that a little bit further into the future, but, um, but there was a crack team of, um, of girls who uh, beat the hell out of uh, Santo's uh, um, Ivanhoe grammar. Um, <laughs> the team was uh, Jane, Judith and Julie. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, um, so actually, while we're talking about it, I will show you the props department <laughs> wow. made me my own nameplate that says Julie, and that was the only thing that I kept from my time or work experience. So I've brought along to show you guys today. Uh, I think we'll have to take a photo for uh, for the Facebook page. That was just so cool. <laughs> what were the dates that you were actually there in '93? Ooh. Uh, I have a feeling it was in September because I think that was the standard work experience dates. But uh, I think, um, uh, Daniel, you should have in your TV guide um, because the date that it aired was actually uh, the date of my work experience uh, week one. Right. Because this is the 25th of September, this episode that we're about to Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It was September. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, we've got plenty more to unravel from your history there. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. So we'll get straight into it. All right. Simply uh, the Barjars competition. Record your own quote. Make a fart noise. Email it to us. And you could win a bluey box set. So, it's as simple as that. Yeah, really. I think I over-describe it. First prize, Bluey box set from Crawford's DVD, bought by mygeekculture.com.au, as well as second prize will be the Late Show Champagne Edition DVD. I've got to say thank you very much to Michael Warren, a.k.a. Lucky Jackson. Uh, he has donated some of his CDs, so you may know him from Potluck when you were singing the Elvis song a couple of episodes ago. So, yeah, um, he's donated a couple of the CDs as well. So please enter that. Also, um, I just got to point out too that I've got to say that previous guest host and podcast listener uh, Stephen Plunkett has reminded us all that it's actually someone's 102nd birthday and this clue might give it away. How's this? This is the great Japanese actor Toshiro Mifune doing the theme from Happy Days. And he goes, oh, Sunday, Monday, Happy Days! <laughs> His birthday was on the 1st of April. That, that's Toshiro Mifune's not Tony Mark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We were yeah. wondering who, who that was. So he's a, obviously he, a, so has a long distinguished career then. An actor, Yes. Also, I just want to say a big cheerio and hello to all our three AW listeners who have just <laughs> jumped on board. So, uh, because I've made a small appearance on three AWs, remember when with Simon Owens and, of course, Philip Brady, and did exactly what you said, Daniel, and that was I ended up reverse interviewing Philip. So, if you don't mind, do you, can I play a snippet? Let's sure. go for it. Three AW six nine three. 
All right. Now, first, we, we've got a heap of calls coming through, so we will get to you very soon. Uh, Matthew uh, wants to ask, I think, a small favour. Good evening to you, Matthew. Hello, guys. How are you? Oh, G'day, great. Matthew. We're good. Simon's here too, of course. Yes, of course. Now, I do a podcast, which is all about the late show, the degeneration, you know, the one that was on ABC TV from 1992 to 93. Yeah, yes. the late show, yes. Legendary, yes. Yeah. Now, you were on it, still as a celebrity stooge. Yeah, Pete Smith and I were on the Late Show quite frequently, Matthew, as you'll know. Yes, and there was one episode that we've recently done, and you were part of the muckraking tour with Mick Malloy and oh, Jason Stevens. That's right. Yes, and with, I think with Granny, Granny Davis. Yeah, Granny was on board, and I think we stopped at Molly Mildrum's house. Yes, that is correct. Now, there was a bit where the car was going by and there was a cheeky fruit ball being pressed against the window. <laughs> yes, and I, I've explained to you that my body double took part in that. I yes. long left the set by then. And can I tell you who yeah. the culprit was? <laughs> Please do. Mick Malloy. Yes. Right? They were the glutes of Mick Malloy. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, uh, so Matthew, I plead not guilty. So, thank you. Bill and Simon. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a good plug you you got in there, uh, Matt, because I, I I decided to listen in live. Usually, I listen the day after on the podcast. It was marred a little bit by you uh, having to say the word piss week. Oh yeah. In, yeah. In, in 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 reference to the to the kids, although you immediately apologised. I think <laughs> you very quickly. I can, <laughs> I can tell I can tell you didn't want to uh, say that sort of language in front of Philip Brady. Or or. Of course, Queenie would have been listening on the on the phone line, so she would have been very offended. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, Phyllis was uh, was uh, on the phone there, but she couldn't she couldn't hear anything. So <laughs> it's more or less. I straight away thought of you know the whole uh, hello Channel Nine. Yes, I like to complain straight up. <laughs> so yeah, if, if if you want to hear the the thing in full, um, remember when is available as a podcast. If you search 3AW Weekend Nights, uh, wherever you're listening to do it to us. Why, why, not, why not subscribe to both of us? <laughs> I've got the paper. <laughs> Daniel Genie's program guide. Uh, thanks, Matt. Uh, so we're looking at Ross Warnicke's critical guide from the Saturday Age. Now, just before I begin, just a reminder that uh, the weekend that we're looking at is the Festival of the Boot, as Roy and HG would call it. So uh, earlier today, we had the AFL Grand Final on Channel 7, Carlton versus Essendon. We're going to find out who won in that uh, a little later in the show. Tomorrow on, on Channel 9 and the ABC, I don't know how that works out, but it's some sort of weird arrangement where, yeah, you can choose to have it without ads on the ABC or with ads on Channel 9. Uh, we've got the Rugby League Grand Final, St George versus Brisbane. Uh, but anyhow, back to uh, what's up against uh, Season 2, Episode 15. Uh, starting with Channel 7, we've got Inspector Morse, uh, an, an episode titled The Service of All the Dead. Warnicky describes it as, uh, as this. First, a church warden is murdered. Then some parishioners at a rural church meet gruesome deaths too. This is one of Morse's most perplexing cases. And that's followed at 10.45 by a documentary about late-night radio called Night Voices. Um, it features um, Bruce Mansfield and Philip Brady, again, from 3AW, uh, Father Gerard Dowling from 3UZ, and Fox FM's Dr Feelgood. Over on Channel 9 at 6.30, we've got Hey Hey, It's Saturday. Quite a lot of songs being performed uh, on tonight's episode, uh, starting off with the sweet performing Fox on, on the Run. <laughs> what else? 
Uh, shrimp and marmalade celebrating at the Essendon Bombers dinner. So uh, that might be the uh, grand final, yeah. Yeah, that might give you an indication as to who won that day. <laughs> Considering the show's out of Melbourne, to sort of pay a bit of lip service to the rugby league, they've got the Balmain Tigers captain, Benny Elias, in as well to preview the grand final. Uh, we've got the Bad Loves performing, I remember. Then on uh, Red Faces, we've got uh, the lead singer of Yothu Yindi, Mandawai Yunik Pingu, and Tracy Dale from Our House. And then to round things out, Annie Crummer performing Seven Waters and Andrew Strong of The Commitments performing Ain't Nothing You Can Do. Then at 8.30, we've got uh, another movie. Um, you might be able to work it out if I do this. There she was, just a walking down the street singing. Two, one, diddy, diddy, dum, diddy, do. Yes, it's the, uh, it's the comedy Stripes. Um, as uh, Ross Warnicke puts it, the undemanding 1981 army life comedy with Bill Murray as a smart aleck loser who, along with his mate, played by Harold Brannis, joins the army and runs into generally predictable hurdles. Not much to it, and Abbott and Costello have been there before, but you tend to laugh in spite of yourself. So, yeah, not a... Oh, well, a bit of a... Not much of a fan there, really. Now, over on Channel 10 is something kind of unique, I think, well, for 1993 at least. Ross Warnicke says, Cashing in on the box office success of Harrison Ford's latest movie, Channel 10 screams a three-hour compilation of the excellent 60s drama series upon which Ford's film is based, The Fugitive. Uh, the late David Jansen plays Richard Kimball, who escapes after being convicted of his wife's murder to pursue the one-armed man who really did it. I don't know whether that counts as a spoiler alert, saying that it was the one-armed man that really did it. I think so. (laughs) He would have been amazing in 93. Everyone would have been watching that. (laughs) Well, see, these days, whenever there's the predictable sequel of a movie, usually all of the movies that precede it get dumped onto some uh, digital multi-channel. But, um, yeah, obviously when you've only got five channels uh, in 93, that's, you know, this sort of uh, being able to see what led up to the latest movie um, is a, a bit of a luxury. Last of all, we reached the ABC, so our lead-in, of course, it's Birds of a Feather. So this is uh, Season 2, Episode 14, Jobs for the Girls. In order to make money for Christmas, Sharon becomes a pet sitter and uh, soon has competition from Dorian's 13-year-old nephew, Adrian. Meanwhile, Tracy becomes a typist and after having problems with the typewriter, uses a word processor. She agrees to type up a novel that Dorian claims she has written. Uh, She later notices that her novel is a copy of The French Lieutenant's Woman and she admits that she just wanted Sharon and Tracy to think that she was talented. Unfortunately, Dorian's not talented, but she is still a dick. (laughs) (laughs) The listing uh, for the last show at 10 o'clock, Warnicke is still not changing from his usual satire and sketch comedy from Melbourne's DGN. And at 11 o'clock, we have a British teleplay about a young woman making life in literary London after the war called Heading Home, uh, starring Jolly Richardson and Gary Oldman. Uh, The description in the Green Guide puts it thus, a naive country girl moves to London after the war and soon finds herself torn between two men from very different worlds. Uh, then at 12.30, we've got the ATVI News, and at 1am, Rage, the Green Guide helpfully says that it contains guitars and metal. <laughs> All right. So nothing else, guitars and metal. <laughs> and that's what was up against the Late Show. 
Thank you very much, Daniel. Now it's time to brutally dissect Season 2, Episode 15 of The Late Show, broadcast on Saturday, September 25, 1993. And straight up, this is where the teaser came in. The International Olympic Committee. Goes on for a minute. Get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all the, the team are on the on the couch. In what what room would it have been, Julie? Oh, the in the couch. Oh, I think it might have been one of their houses. Ah, okay. So yeah, the team are on the couch and they're just waiting for the announcement of the 2000 Games. And of course, the the winner is Cindy. <laughs> They won. Hooray. Yeah. Am I the only Sydney cider here? Because I definitely no. stayed up. And I remember, oh, yes. Yeah, so, Matt, you as well, you you would have been stayed up. You would have stayed up as well, surely. Primary school, oh. I'll be in year six. So, yeah. therefore, I think I did, yeah. What time was the announcement? God, it was like three, three in, in the morning, morning or something ridiculous. Oh, my God. It? Yeah, it was, it was, it was oh. really, yeah, you definitely would have had to either wake up really early or just stay, stay up the entire night. But I think it was a... Was it a Friday? I remember it was. It uh, was. It was a, yeah. yeah, having to go to school or work or something the next day. Um, but I remember doing a speech the day before in English class about why we should get the games because I thought, gosh, if we lose and they choose me to do the speech on Friday, I won't have anything to talk about. <laughs> so I volunteered <laughs> myself beforehand. <laughs> nice work. I, I can give you just a, a quick, you could maybe call this an, an extra to the program guide. As the, the DGEN kind of insinuate, it was a bit of a marathon slog uh, through the night. According to the Green Guide, the announcement was scheduled for 4.20 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, basically all three commercial networks and the ABC um, had uh, special programming the Thursday night slash uh, Friday morning. Uh, ABC, uh, for instance, had a, tele- a telecast from Homebush uh, Sports Centre hosted by um, Live and Sweaty's Karen Tighe with uh, Mark Warren, George Negus, and somewhat prophetically, Ryan HG. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seven Network had a special called Share the Spirit at 10.30pm uh, hosted by Ann Sanders, followed by a replay of the 1992 Barcelona Games opening ceremony. Then Bruce McAvaney uh, live in Monte Carlo. Uh, Channel 9 had uh, a program at 7.30pm hosted by Ray Martin and Liz Hayes. Then did most of their regular programming, but uh, came back at 3am with a Today special. So uh, Liz Hayes and Steve Liebman uh, basically going through to 9am. Uh, and then Channel 10 had... Uh, at 11 p.m., they had an extended one-hour edition of Sports Tonight hosted by Tim Webster. Sports Tonight had only just started, I think, maybe about a month prior, roughly. Uh, that was followed at midnight by Chariots of Fire. Then um, the announcement telecast at 2.30, hosted by Tim Webster and Anne Forward. What did like, SBS did they... have? Did, did they have a sort of French film that was completely <laughs> nothing to do with the Olympics? They had the <laughs> test pattern. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, like, which which seems very unlike SBS, you know, considering they're all bringing the world back home. You know, the DGEN weren't um, weren't lying when they they said that you know it was a you know a marathon slog through and you know talking about the history of the Olympics and they're only up to Helsinki. There is a YouTube video that Kim shared with us uh, before the show that has a, a clip or multiple clips of various news representations from the ones that you were basically mentioning, Daniel. The one that I did watch, part I didn't watch the entire thing, but the most entertaining one was the, the 
today's show with Monty Dwyer. And yeah. he's just being <laughs> pushed in the crowd. There's this really drunk lady who just goes, Salam, Salam. It's just that whole party atmosphere. And they just cut to all these people who are just extremely pissed. But that's that's the highlight of it. And, the, and, and it was just a trip back in time watching that. Um, I'll share it on the Facebook group uh, later on. But it's it's really funny. They even go to shops that have the Olympic in their name just to say, oh, you're going to... You can take advantage of your name and get some more business. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's really good news for um for the the, the DGen, but uh, not so good news for somebody by the name of Lin Chai. Well, I I, I don't know who who Lin Chai actually is, but it turns out that he's been sitting with the DGen the whole time, not making a, a, a single sound, even through um, Rob Stitch saying that they're missing out on Spy Force over on another channel. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, because Sydney won in Beijing, didn't he has to run around in his undercrackers 2,000 times, as Rob uh, uh, shouts yeah, out. <laughs> and do you think that harks back to the uh, Mick Molloy versus um, Eddie Charlton um, game of pool? Where ah, Eddie Charlton. Oh, damn. Was yeah. <laughs> anyone at the time completely um, confused by Rob's Spy Force comment? It was just a show I had no concept of. A bit like Rush and Bluey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what is he talking about? Yeah, Spy Force is a Crawford's show. It's a... I, I think in the 90s it was buried on. Yeah, like 3 a.m. time slot, so I wasn't watching it. No. I think it's got Jack Thompson in it, hasn't it? Yeah, wow. and, and Peter Sumner, yeah. yeah. So it does sound like worth a watch. Well, see, I think I think Channel 9 might have played Spy Force a bit like, uh, I, well, I, 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 I couldn't spot it in the, the program guide, to be honest, but um, uh, there were very early morning repeats of the Sullivans, you know, like Monday to Friday on Channel 9, so it would have been one of those kind of repeats. After the opening titles, and we have the opening remarks with Judith and Mick on stage. Now, where is Tony? Uh, I've got to be honest with you, Mick. I think his exact words were, <laughs> Bye, Mick Malloy, I can't be stuffed. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 kind of obvious Tony Martin's in makeup for a very good reason, which we'll find out soon. It was entertaining that when you did the flashback sequence or the dream sequence, and then Santo interrupts saying actually you can't make it to this either. So <laughs> And then he recommends he does the Tony Barber dance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little dance from Santo. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of like an anti-joke just about, uh, or an, an anti-running gag even. So they mentioned AFL Grand Final, Essendon winning, and also some stuff to do with Russia. There's quite a good line actually in the bit about Russia, and they, they talk about Boris Yeltsin, who was the um, president at the time, being an old drunk bastard, which, which he was. And then there's, <laughs> then there's a rather prophetic line they say, who are they going to replace him with? And, of course, that, that brought a shudder to me, um, having spent, well, like all of us, a month watching the horrible footage from Ukraine because we know who came after Yeltsin and it's not been good. Yeah, kind of pre- preferring the Andy Cap approach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they should have stuck with the drunk guy, I yeah. think. <laughs> to change the topic, they did refer to the Sydney Olympics winning. Rob is in the audience and... Who is he sitting next to? He's sitting next to uh, to myself, 
So uh, the atmosphere in the studio that night was absolutely electric because uh, the audience were already excited about being uh, watching the late show, about the Olympics. And then as everyone streamed in, they were actually given um, you know, party poppers and streamers and things like that. And uh, they were told anytime there was any reference to Sydney winning the 2000 Olympics, they were to go absolutely hog wild, which uh, <laughs> they, they were going to. But they certainly uh, did. <laughs> yes, uh, but uh, one of the last-minute additions to the show was that uh, uh, Rob was going to uh, do his now famous uh, impression of John Faye. And uh, <laughs> one of the key moments um, in that announcement, when John Faye does like the happy dance, he jumps around and he hugs the nearest person. Uh, they needed someone to receive the hug, and that person was me. uh, (laughs) as we came into the studio uh, Rob said to me now uh, so you know you'll be sitting here and uh, when I get up you get up and um, I'll just turn around and I'll hug you and uh, you know as the work experience student you just want to follow those orders to the letter you never want to get anything wrong especially on live television so Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there and uh, it's really funny to watch it back and um, you know I could just see how nervous I was and how excited I was Mm -hmm. and just admiring Rob and uh, just really being caught up in the moment. So uh, the big announcement, Sydney's won the games. Uh, the audience is just throwing all of their streamers. Uh, Rob gets up. And what I didn't take into account was that uh, Rob's going to milk it, right? The crowd's loving it. <laughs> <laughs> Rob's enjoying himself. And so uh, I can really catch the awkward moment where uh, Rob gets up and I pretty much immediately get up and I'm left standing behind him quite awkwardly while Rob's just like mugging for the cameras and the audience and he's just getting streamers rain down on him and I'm just standing there and finally after what feels like 10 minutes finally Rob turns around and hugs me and pretty much everyone was over it by then but, uh... <laughs> See, all that time you were waiting for him when is he going to hug me <laughs> even watching it back it feels like 10 minutes so uh... <laughs> but uh, yeah then we uh, I got my hug and uh, then we sat back down and uh, the intro continues <laughs> But it feels like today there would be about 17 different policies to stop that from happening to a in the workplace. (laughs) Well, I got shot at, uh, you know, later in the episode. So uh, I'm very, very fortunate there really uh, were very lax rules at the time. Yeah, they would have had to have an intimacy coordinator for for just that hug these days, wouldn't they? You'd have to have a chaperone and, you know. Yeah, yeah, because you were on the age yeah oh and also because of the olympic announcement and the presentation and all that now i'm not sure who judith was referring to when she was mentioning anita i think that was maybe a channel anita 7. keating ah god yeah. i feel so, like an idiot anita keating she's she's dutch isn't she i think and um yeah. and yeah she gave a speech in the final sort of presentation to the olympic committee anita keating got up as the first lady, I suppose, and and she gave her speech in English, French, and Italian, not Dutch, alas. I, mean, I was trying to find a clip. Oh, you know why? I, I was trying to find uh, a a news reporter or a journalist or whatever. I didn't even think about uh, any Anita Keating footage. So every time I saw an Anita Keating, I, I skipped and went, oh, no, I've got to find the other thing. That's why I couldn't find any of the French references. But <laughs> Judith does some pretty impressive French. Which translated means? I studied French in high school too, but I don't show off about it. <laughs> <laughs> the thing was, yeah. she said before, 
Vol me dabbelen en Nida zegt dat... I remember I was studying French at, in high school at the time thinking, oh, even I don't understand. I understood the first part, but not the bit about um, even I don't show off about it. And that was... Uh, That was the extent of my French. But I do think we need to give an honourable mention to Rob Sitch's um, John Fay expression before the announcement. Oh, <laughs> oh the board face, yes. Yeah. Oh, I've kind of got this on freeze frame in front of me now and you've got um, Julie just behind him with his big grin kind of waiting for it to happen. But no. <laughs> also, Judith makes a, a reference to a... Melbourne taxi driver. This was a little bit awkward, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I, I, I guess like you know, a lot of female celebrities get these really dodgy kind of letters from from dodgy men, um, where they talk about how much they like them and appreciate them in in a really kind of creepy way, and and I think this is probably an example of that. That she she describes it as a taxi driver who gets busy in the nether regions whenever Judith and whenever I and Jane appear on the screen. Um, so she, she, I think she basically just thought, well, the only way to deal with this creepy letter is just to take the piss out of this guy. So she did. Like yes. you think about it at the time, there's no way any other female celebrity would ever call that out. So it's no. really- Yeah, that, that's, that, that, that's the, the, the perfect phrase for it, calling it out, really. Yeah. yeah. My guess is that the taxi driver may have told one of the male members of the, the group who decided to uh, let Jane and or Judith know, um, hopefully in the uh, that's not a good thing context. The taxi driver would have to have some chutzpah uh, to, to say in front of Jane or Judith if that, if that wasn't the yes. case. Uh, so how they found out is not exactly made clear, but uh, I no. can um, sort of look back on one of my tasks as the work experience student was also to open the mail and uh, can confirm that uh, the office did receive like copious amounts of mail. And uh, a lot of it was actually um, you know just general fan mail attached you know, to everyone. But uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, letters um, directed at particular cast members and uh, Mick, received uh, probably the most and uh you know a lot of the crew were kind of laughing because um apparently you know uh, in the days before you could slide into someone's dms uh mick was getting news uh but like polaroids wow, wow. <laughs> and uh i remember one letter that uh, that really um really struck me um was a letter to the entire cast and it was uh, from someone who was obviously going through a really hard time and it actually said Saturday night is the only night that I don't cry myself to sleep and just went on oh. to say like how important this show was and um, it just oh it really found it so touching um, and uh, so the cast did you know read all of the mail that they received so yes possibly the taxi driver wrote a special love letter to uh, Judas and Jane <laughs> or you know uh, one of the uh, uh, one of the male cast members was possibly a passenger in his taxi. But, uh, but yeah, the, um, there was a lot of uh, mail and uh, some of it was funny and some of it was really touching. It's nice to know. Nice to know that they actually read all the letters because I know that we wrote so many letters to The Late Show. And my friend Cuneo was saying the other day because they were in Sydney the next week, she always wanted them to come to Sydney. So she maintains it was her idea in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's over to the news desk with Tommy G. And it's all about Olympics, Olympics, Olympics. <laughs> and, yeah, so there's, as you said, as soon as anything in regards to the Sydney 2000 Games, 
Boom, lots of cheering. And foot stomping. And yeah, plenty of foot stomping, yeah. Yeah. What was it what, what was it like in the room when that when they the audience went apeshit, Julie? It was wild. It was really uh, genuinely charged. And I think that um uh, I'd been in the audience other times, so um, the Sydney announcement, I think, added an extra layer to what was already there. And uh, I was one of those people who was lucky enough to get tickets a few times, and uh, the excitement did ratchet up um, between season one and season two just because the fandom was um, so much stronger. And mm -hmm. so uh, I think people were already excited just to be there. And uh, and then, yeah, I think they all they needed was permission and some streamers to go absolutely bananas. <laughs> now, news, uh, it's pretty much all about Olympics and how China's was they're trying to work out why they failed, which was basically some aggression and <laughs> allegations the video was tampered with, such as Tiananmen Square exotic dancers and dead bodies featuring in the video. <laughs> yeah, a bit wrong. Uh, Istanbul's final presentation was basically one guy telling the camera to give us some... <laughs> <laughs> Give us them. <laughs> uh, there is also the the genuine, uh, as Tom puts it, the biggest laugh of the night, uh, being the reaction from Beijing. Juan Antonio Semranch was just reading out the list of the five bidding cities, and yeah, uh, lists Beijing first. And because they hear their own name, they think they've won it. So. Mm -hmm. All the streamers go off and everybody's celebrating, thinking that they've won it. Yeah, the funniest Aww. thing of that segment wasn't even a joke. It actually happened. It actually happened, yeah. 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 Oh, don't worry, Beijing. You'll get it one day. <laughs> and they, they did. So Bruce McAvaney is in the studio who's flown directly back. Wasn't he a little bit tipsy? I did list of 43 Olympic delegates, all that voted for Australia. Here I go, Benna, Portugal, Carrara, Italy. I think Bruce will cut you... <laughs> We got only kidding. You're professional. You just stay there. We'll just sleep. we'll move on with the news. Is that okay? I have a little sleep. little nap. Good boy. If you liked Rob's Bruce McAvaney impersonation, you're gonna love uh, Rob's <laughs> drunk Bruce McAvaney impersonation. Yeah. Prime Minister Keating visits royal family in Balmoral, then goes to Ireland and gets made to sit on the naughty chair. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Treasurer John Dawkins threatens to retire uh, while everyone cheers. <laughs> he, he retracted his comments saying that it wasn't the Senate or opposition letting him down. It was the pesky, pesky phone calls. G'day, it's John Blackrock from Telecom Mobile. That? That's the eighth one. <laughs> nice to get one of those again. And then Rob is Bruce McAvaney going, oh, that John Blackman joke. Yeah, I was missing last week. Yeah. <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of us noticed it was missing last week. <laughs> Sketch time, and it is a bizarre black and white commercial dedicated to wigs. And I had no idea what it was. I don't know if anyone else did, but Julie did work it out. I, de I definitely don't think the audience yes. did because there were some titters, but it was largely silence from the audience, I've got to say. Thanks for sending that um, ad through, Julie, because I knew it at the time and I got the joke at the time, but I completely forgot that it was a... Schwarzkopf ad. <laughs> yeah, I, I do definitely remember this ad. It was one of yeah. those arty black and white, yeah, for, for Schwarzkopf's products, and it was just, it was just like a reflection of that whole aesthetic at the time with the the black and white kind of high art fashion stuff, and they just really, yeah, t took the piss out of it in a very, in the, the late show fashion, which is always very accurate, very biting satire. Oh, that was. <laughs> Uh, I was somewhat involved in uh, some of the uh, the brainstorming for this sketch, 
So, uh, you know, as uh, you guys have already mentioned, it was a uh, sort of shot-for-shot parody of um, a Schwarzkopf ad, and uh, their idea was for the wigs to get more and more ridiculous as uh, Mm -hmm. the ad progressed. And uh, so one of the shots from the original commercial featured a model running down the streets of Paris and her hair blowing majestically in the breeze. And so uh, for Judith's wig, she wanted something that was going to react to the wind in some way. <laughs> and uh, so uh, we were just sitting around the office and, you know, of course, like I was just tagging along. And, uh, and so Judith was sort of throwing it out to the group, uh, you know, what would sort of look good like blowing in the wind? And, uh, you know, I sort of shyly suggested... What about one of those like windmills, like the ones they give out at the Royal Melbourne Show? And uh, <laughs> Judith, Judith actually said, "Oh no, I don't think that's a good idea." And um, you know, um, I just kind of got back in my box, and I didn't really say uh, much after that. Didn't really think anything of it until uh, that moment when the show was broadcast live, and I hadn't seen uh, the finished sketch. And uh, surprise, surprise, when we get to the shot of Judith running down the street, what's in her wig but the windmills from the Royal Melbourne show. So I don't know exactly, I don't know what transpired that, uh, you know, um, Judith maybe um, saw some in real life and changed her mind. But, uh, uh, you know, I had some very mixed feelings when I saw that um, and realised that uh, my joke um, had been used. But, uh, but. In the end, I was just chuffed that my ID got on TV. That's yeah. wicked. And now you've got, got the opportunity. You've got the opportunity now to claim credit for it. On the yeah. <laughs> that is the funniest part of that ad. Yeah. That, those whirlwinds <laughs> in her hair, like that, is really, really funny. The rest of it yeah. is just a bit like, okay, cool, cool. But yeah, that one, that one was great. You needed some high school level humour. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tweet out and share on the Facebook group too. The, I'll do a comparison thing for it too because I'd never seen the original ad before and as soon as I saw that, I went, oh, that all makes sense and that's actually quite funny. Um, they did a really great job of recreating the soundtrack from the ad because it is that haunting uh, a cappella sort of number and um, mm. I think Jane and Judith actually re-recorded that mm. and they did a great job. Yeah, you can definitely hear their voices. Credit to you. Credit to you for that. Yeah, additional material, Julie yeah. Coulter. Well done. <laughs> Did they explain why they chose that particular ad? Were there other ones on the table that they could potentially have done? No, by the time I got there, that had been decided. Um, I remember seeing that ad a lot in the 90s, but maybe I'm just in the target audience of, uh, you know, just really liking hair products. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it came to mind straight away when uh, when I got to rewatch this. But uh, so, yeah, I'm glad it was still on YouTube. Now we're on stage and it is one of the most popular, most well-known sketches. I'm really not going to quote it too much because everyone knows it. And that is... Arnie, thanks for joining us tonight on The Late Show. <laughs> Thank you, it's fantastic to be here. Uh-huh. Tony is Arnie, and that's why he had disappeared at the very beginning. Yeah. But the cool part is someone actually asked Tony about this sketch in general, and uh, on Twitter, Tony actually responded, this is on February 14, that the makeup took about four hours, if I recall, and it was the days before the softer, quote, Jiminy Glick-style appliances that they use now yes i can confirm that and uh, i was lucky enough to be uh present in the makeup department um, when tony had the uh, prosthetics done Uh, they hired an additional uh prosthetics expert on top of the usual hair and makeup team and uh, it was a great learning experience for me watching it all uh all happen and uh tony um, the poor guy had to get in the makeup three times i think because uh, it was shot on 
not only live, he had to uh, do the Arnold piece with Mick in the studio, but uh, they also did the uh, the day shoot, which is the uh, the Citizen Kane, uh, you know, the shootout in front of the church. But then they also did the uh, the night scene, and um, as I recall, they were there was three separate times he had to sit there and get the uh, get the makeup done, and the suit wow. itself, um, there was um, like he had to wear like a muscle suit underneath the clothes and then there was the full leather suit as well and um you know um, i remember going up and touching it and um it could basically stand up on its own just the leather was that thick uh so it must have been a huge challenge for tony to even be able to move around in the suit let alone put on a funny accent and shoot a gun Wow. It must have been like really heavy and really hot to wear all that stuff. Incredibly, so uh, this mm. is a you know an even bigger achievement for Tony than uh, than just the funny accent for sure. <laughs> yeah, not only that, the, the amount of script that he had to remember and its flawless kind of delivery of that as well on live television was amazing. We did talk about this sketch a little bit a few episodes ago when Ivan Reitman passed and. Um, yeah, it's definitely one of the iconic ones. Well, th- this one is currently working on Terminator 3, foreshadowing the future, really. It, was, it wasn't until 2003 Terminator 3 came out, uh, which was up against Tony Martin's Bad Eggs. <laughs> Didn't that go well? <laughs> so, but Terminator 3 was not about the enemy being the little fat kid from Hey Dad. Hasta la vista, little fat kid. <laughs> <laughs> I will point out that there was a joke that was removed from the best of. Did anyone catch it? Yeah, I felt like the whole stuff about um, uh, Cyrano de Bergerac was um, a, a revelation to me. I'd forgotten about it. So was that the part that was cut out? Correct. Yeah, because that was really interesting, like that thing, just shoot him, consider that a poem. Like, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, also changing Serrano to Bergerac into cyborg babysitter. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it was kind of a bit of a roast of Reitman about how he has all these different writers for all the parts of the script, and he has a writer just for verbs. Doing <laughs> shit, he has a writer for that. <laughs> We've got Ivan Reitman, who's uh, fantastic. I, I think a genius. Yeah. One of the weird sights uh, in this sketch is. Uh, Tony as Arnold holding up that paperback book. A man and his movies. Yes. Because, <laughs> like, Tony's been made up to be this big, muscly kind of a man, and he's holding up this paperback book with tiny, tiny hands. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like that's the only bit that's not quite right about the whole makeup <laughs> thing. That they, they, couldn't, they couldn't do anything to beef up his hands. <laughs> they did take a question from the floor, which is a stranger looking a lot like Dr. Aaron Bocare. Yes, Arnold, I saw that movie, your movie, Last Action Hero, and I found that it wasn't very good. <laughs> Opinion noted. <laughs> How loud was that gunshot? I don't remember it being that loud, but uh, we did have to wear earplugs um, in the pre-recorded sketch, which uh, you know we'll get to in a sec. The other person who was in the audience, other than yourself, Julie, was uh, a comedian by the name of Mikey Robbins. So you may know him from Triple J and Good News Week and so forth. But he also worked with uh, Dr. Aaron Bocare on Good News Week. But this is what... Uh, he had to say about being in the audience as well as paying tribute to Dr. Aaron Bocare. 
So, Mikey, you appeared in this episode, Season 2, Episode 15, and you're in the audience for the Arnold Schwarzenegger part anyway. That's what you're seen on TV. Yes, I, I, I saw the photo you tweeted, and uh, gosh, I remember my hair being that black. That's how long ago it was. I, I, I think I was sort of going for the 90s grunge look, but I, I sort of... I look more like if Oscar Wilde had been a roadie for Silverchair. <laughs> <laughs> never quite covered, never quite carried it off. How did you get tickets for that? You know what? I've been racking my brain, and I'm pretty certain around about that same time I was doing uh, Triple J Breakfast. I think we were down in Melbourne doing an OB, and I think this is you know this is a long time ago. I might have been making the occasional appearance on Live and Sweaty. Now, I do remember the hotel I was staying at was around the corner in Chinatown. So I was going to stay a few extra days and basically try and yum-char myself to death. <laughs> um, and I'd mentioned to uh, Mark Kennedy, who was working on Live and Sweetie, that if I was staying in town, I was a huge fan of The Late Show, and I think he got me tickets. And that's how I ended up not just at the show, but in the front row, might I add, pretty bloody pretty bloody good. <laughs> yeah, and you're immortalised on the DVD as well because that's part of the best bits. Are you kidding me? That's hysterical. Hang on, I, I, I should get royalties for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got your residuals coming up, don't you? <laughs> oh, man, up until 20 years ago, I was still getting, I was still getting the occasional paycheck for uh, an appearance of Mr Squiggle from the 80s. But anyway, go on. <laughs> Fantastic. $42 a year. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you've blown the ABC budget. Now, uh, because uh, that particular moment, Arnold, Tony, uh, shoots a member of the audience, which is Dr. Aaron Beaucaire. And we're a fan of Aaron's work uh, on The Late Show, and we always praise every time he appears and stuff. But you uh, actually, you worked alongside him during the Good Newsweek days as well, didn't you? Well, Aaron was, Aaron was pretty much, I think the technical phrase is the blowing shit up guy for the ABC for years. I'm pretty certain Aaron was the guy that introduced the air cannons to the big gig. Remember how the, you know, the, the, the big puppets used to vomit out confetti? Yeah. Uh, and uh, anyone who watched Good Newsweek or any of Ted Robinson's work knows that confetti flying through the air is one of his favourite things. So Aaron would always rig up the air cannons. But I always remember if I got there and Aaron seemed to be running around doing stuff, it meant that we were going to blow shit up. <sighs> <laughs> which was which was fun for me because I know you know you have to remember you know Paul and Ted and the writers and the producers they'd spend the whole week putting the show together so I never knew what was going to happen until the day I arrived you know until I arrived I think I Aaron's a great bloke and a huge professional but I always knew that if he was there it was going to be a long record because we had technical stuff to get through and of course. Uh, Paul, I mean, Paul used to make a lot of fun about, you know, how scared he was and how frightened he was, but Paul Paul loved blowing stuff up as well. And, and the fact that by the time we did Good Newsweek that Aaron had a few fingertips missing and was always good for a couple of laughs with the studio audience. <laughs> was he uh, an easy person to work with? This is Aaron I'm referring to. Absolute professional. Absolute. Oh, you know, let's, let's face it, you, know, you are talking about flashpots, which, you know, you got to be careful around and you're talking about you know a, a panel show mostly made up of comedians which is like organizing cats who've had too much ritalin <laughs> so uh you, you really did need a grown-up in the room and so once once you got there um and you know ted would say look this is going to happen then aaron would have this sort of look on his face like just do as i tell you and no one gets hurt and i we never had an injury we never had an injury on the set. 
that's one that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, did you get Aaron to help you out or uh, give a warning for anything at all in regards to that? Like, did you? Um, actually, there were one or two occasions when we'd be warned and the explosion would be slightly bigger than I thought it was going to be. And, um, and I, let's put it like this: if you ever go back to some old Good News Week tape, tapes on on um, on YouTube, I know people watch them on there. If I swear or jump. It's a genuine reaction because I am not that good an actor. So I, it was always that thing. It was like, and as that was coming, I think it's going to be big. Oh, shit, it was that big. Okay, fine. Okay, good, 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 good. Unfortunately, Aaron's no longer with us. Uh, but no. What would you like for Aaron to be remembered for, remembered by? Oh, causing Paul physical pain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you know, I'm looking, yeah, Paul plays to the hilt, but there was always that chance. And, you know, and Paul's an incredibly brave performer. You know, he'd um, he'd do anything for a laugh. But there was always that chance that, uh, you know, there were times when that look in Paul's eyes was genuine fear. And any day that happened was, was, a, was a good day for me. Because <laughs> that was the thing, too. Usually Paul would be in the middle of where the stuff went off. I'd be off to the side. So I could actually just sit down and go, oh, the little fellow's about to get, or you might get hurt here. <laughs> 2022 is mm-hmm. the 30-year anniversary since The Late Show was originally broadcast, the first episode being in July 1992. God almighty. I mean, it's just amazing the amount of talent that came out of that show when you think about it. Now, were they uh, part inspiration because of their early work, say, back in the Eon FM days or um, when the Degeneration was on ABC TV in the early mornings or, or you know, before um, the young ones? Not, I mean, not so much the Eon FM stuff because I was always a Melbourne guy. So my first real, I mean, I, I watched the DJ. And I was a fan of the DJ, but I really loved the Late Show. I was, in fact, that was one of the things I said. I, I was staying in Melbourne and I wanted to get tickets. I, I just loved, I loved the format. I loved the fact that it seemed to move seamlessly between sort of stand-up bits, panel bits, and sketch comedy, which which no one was doing at the time. And you know, I can't remember. If it was the show I was there, but, you know, we've all got bits. I still think one of the funniest rants I've ever heard was, was Tony. I think Mick might have been involved as well, but I remember Tony Martin going on about he'd been to see um, uh, Neil Diamond in concert, and Neil Diamond had not said, good Lord. And he ran with this for ages. It was one of the funniest bits I've ever seen in my life. Uh, have you actually worked with any of the members at all? I made a guest appearance on Mick's... Um, Remember Mick made a sitcom a couple of years ago about, about sort of, you know, comedy performers? Yeah, The Justice. The Justice, yeah. I was, I was in that, and I actually played myself. I don't think I had a scene with Mick, but I remember he directed. And he was very gentle for a man who can barely act, even playing myself. Yeah, so there you go. Like, a nice homage to Dr. Aaron Bocare. Yeah. Because, after all... He is fantastic. I, I a, a genius. I do love the last bit where, uh, oh, Tony, where'd you get your suit? Oh, Solway, where the big men go. <laughs> where, the, where the big men buy, which I think, like, I'm, I'm, I'm only an Adelaidean, but I'm pretty sure that's a world of sport reference. Solway? Ch- uh, yeah, ch- like they used to do a lot of sponsorship stuff on Channel oh. 7. Is Solway like, sport. is that like Lowe's? No, it was... <laughs> Such a niche reference. So it was like this shop, and I'm not sure how many other shops there were, but there was one in Moorabbin, and you would drive past it every day on the Pan Highway. And I was just like always seeing that for years after going Solway. 
That's where Tony got, got his suit. <laughs> it's a reference in line but, with stacks of slacks, if you know oh, what I mean. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just went whoosh over my head. I mean, I kind of got the context of it, but uh, yeah. Oh, I don't even think I realised how local the reference was. I just understood it and went, okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> there is still a shop there in Moorabbin, but it's called Big and Tall now, so I wonder if it's actually yeah. the same kind of shop. But um, you know, maybe they realised that Solway was a bit too um, obtuse, and they uh, they've just um, changed it to big and tall just to make sure that uh, tall they know mighty. I think it's big and mighty. Oh, high and mighty. Yeah, maybe you're right. <laughs> Solway sounds like a uh, Miller's Fashion Club type thing. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> For men who are over six foot five and more than hundred kilos. <laughs> As they wrap up the Arnie chat, he was there to also uh, the play the new trailer for his new movie, the remake of Citizen Kane. Now, Julie, you said that you were part of this. That's right. Yes, I was uh, one of the guests at the ill-fated wedding uh, in the Citizen Kane trailer. So uh, this was um, probably the biggest thing that um, I got a chance to be a part of. And so... Uh, uh, so day one of the shoot was going to be the uh, the church scene with uh, with the big shootout and uh, Rosebud uh, dies before his very eyes. And so uh, on the uh, the lead up to the shoot, they were actually having trouble uh, finding a church um, for the location because uh, churches were fine. You know, can a crew from the ABC come and do some filming? Oh yes. Uh, and then when they actually let slip that there was going to be gunfire, all of the churches pretty much pulled out. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> So uh, they had to really dig deep and pull some strings. And uh, so the location for the, uh, the the nerds out there, the location is actually the Scotch church at uh, Scotch College. And uh, mm-hmm. so on the day of the shoot, oh, so the day before we were told we could all be extras, like anyone from the office could be an extra as long as we came dressed in what could be wedding guest attire. So, you know, me just being the work experience kid, um, you know, from high school, I didn't really have anything that was going to be appropriate. So my wonderful mother stayed up late the night before and she made me a snazzy bolero jacket to put over one of my oh. summer dresses. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So oh. thank you, Mum. So I turned up in one of just my uh, regular summer dresses with my snazzy bolero over the top and uh, <laughs> we all piled into uh, into a minibus and uh, we all went to uh, to the location and uh, gathered outside the church and uh, so we were, uh, were all given um, a safety briefing um, we were given um, earplugs to wear because there was going to be some serious gunfire um, dr. Aaron Bocare was there of course and um, because there was uh, you know so many guns uh, there was also uh, Aaron had brought another colleague who was um, a firearms expert. And uh, word on the set was, this guy was very intense, uh, word on the set was he had a copy of Sexy Girls with Sexy Guns. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, not for ironic reasons, but he just loved the content. Um, <laughs> so um, we were told, uh, so, you know, the car would arrive. And uh, so I think it was Mick and Santo and another extra were going to open fire on the crowd and uh, and so we were to immediately start to flee in all directions as soon as the gunfire um, starts happening. So me, again, being the work experience student who never wants to do anything wrong, uh, like pretty much as soon as we heard the first explosion, I just 
bolted, like just sprinted <laughs> around the side of the church to the point where it came at the expense of my own screen time. Because when my friends and family said, oh, where were you? Uh, I'm actually not even really in that scene because um, I just sprinted so hard you can't even see me. and then uh the next day of filming was uh was a night shoot which uh, took place um, outside the old abc studios in ripon lee and uh and so this was uh, probably the uh the most exposure i had to uh the prosthetic makeup um, process so uh the expert that they had uh, brought in uh, was the prosthetics expert and uh he was a fascinating man who had uh, the only proper salvador dali mustache that i've ever seen in real life with like the the waxed uh curl so you knew he was a professional and uh <laughs> And so uh, um, out in the driveway, they'd set up all of the um, all the pyrotechnics and everything, and Aaron Bocare and his colleague had it all sorted out. And just the air of nervousness around there because they really only had enough explosives for one or two takes maximum. So uh, Tony needed to wade through this, you know, um, uh, hit every mark with the gun, uh, as well as wearing the crazy suit and all the crazy makeup and the explosions needed to go off behind him. So there was so much that had to go right. So they uh, they spent hours and hours and hours prepping for this and then probably only about uh, two minutes shooting time maximum, but everything went off without a hitch. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why this sketch is so iconic because it is really epic, not just by ABC standards, but any standards. Mm. Wow. So it wasn't a Santo behind his little handicam. It was actually a genuine big crew and a huge effort. Absolutely. And uh, you might notice that uh, the part of Rosebud was played by Jane and uh, she was wearing the, uh, you know, the quintessential kind of 80s uh, wedding dress and it was very, very fluffy and white. And uh, um, as we were standing outside the church, Jane was really fretting that uh, she felt like she looked really ridiculous. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) here's me, the uh, the work experience kid. And honestly, I just heard her fretting and I turned around and I said, um, because I know I'm a big admirer of Jane um, at the best of times, but I said, no, 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 you look pretty in anything. No, and, uh, <laughs> that's great. And uh, um, and she uh, she kind of laughed because I think everyone could realise like how sincere I was. Like, you know, I wasn't trying to suck <laughs> up. I was genuinely shocked that she thought she looked bad because she yeah. can't look bad. <laughs> <laughs> it is fascinating though how much how many hours of work went into what really is a blink in your message moment. I mean, obviously it's a very iconic sketch, but it almost doesn't need that final Citizen Kane thing because the thing on stage was so funny. That's the thing we quote the most. I don't think many of us really remember the Citizen Kane remake. Oh, I do. No, I I love it. I love the line. (laughs) I think it would be fun to run a newspaper. (laughs) And and if if you've seen the film, you know, the Citizen Kane, the original film, of course, you know, there's lots of other little references you can pick up in it. But but that's the that's the key line for me. I think it would be fun to run a newspaper in Arnold Schwarzenegger's voice, which, of course, is a quote from the real film. Yes. And the credits at the end are quite funny, too. The cast is really yeah <laughs> yeah get gary Busey as bernstein <laughs> and and also the film's directed not by ivan reitman who's a genius but tony scott and now do we know what tony scott directed he was the director of top gun beverly hills cop days of thunder and many many more films so that that's who tony scott is <laughs> but yeah. so it's a real sort of film nerds um paradise that 
that sort of final screen. There's lots of references to other production crew as well, famous from that sort of Hollywood film. Well, uh, look, the, the screenplay for this uh, Citizen Kane re- remake was uh, written by Shane Black, who happens to write the screenplay for Last Action Hero, <laughs> among many other action movies. Did he write the verbs as well, or was there a separate guy for that? <laughs> yeah, shit, I think that was one of his, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Julie, I just wanted to ask Julie how um, you remember all of this stuff. Did you keep a diary when you were there? Did you have... Do you just um, reflect back or you just repeated all of these moments in your mind? No, I didn't keep a diary. I almost wish I did. But um, when something is that amazing, it just burns itself onto your memory. Mm. So uh, watching it back mm-hmm. again, um, it all just came flooding back. Time for a musical pistake. And that is Jane <laughs> introducing the sharp skivvies are back. They nailed this perfectly. Oh, yeah. Remember when you um, interviewed Jason and he said that they did a better version? Uh, It's so true. This is such a good (laughs) song. Yeah, when I looked at the uh, the original version, I thought, hang on a minute, this is actually (laughs) the original. Yeah. Sorry. Here's a bit of Jason, if you've missed the special Jason Stevens episode of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, talking about this sketch in particular. Well, I just, I wrote that one. I saw that clip and just wrote that song pretty quickly because I thought, you know, at the time, skivvies were, nobody ever wore skivvies, you know, and it's like, oh, these three guys in skivvies. So it's like, skivvies are back. And that was like, great, that's the song. And then, you know, with music parodies, you know, legally you've got to do something which is a, what I call a sound alike. So it can't be like the original, but it has to be a little bit different enough to the original. But I actually think the version that we came out with was a better song. So I think it's pretty simple to copy because there's only like three three members in the band. And um, I do remember that double bass, which I think was, I don't know if it was a real double bass. It was a prop one, but it was so heavy. And we did like, I don't know, it was like in the end, it was just like, this is getting really heavy. Robin Santo loved, you know, they're just sort of hamming it up in the background. But it was, we never asked for permission. And I think the guys took it in the right spirit, you know. We never, I think we may, I think we may have heard back years later they enjoyed it. But I mean, you know, who knows at the time. There's a lot of effort for a very short sketch. But this one, I think, has maximum payoff because it was so popular. And I think it's really effective, actually, what they do. Like, it's such a great impression of the film clip. Mm. But I have a question for the group. There's a line in it that I couldn't um, hear, and it was like, "This he's talking about this one's from Golden Breed. Does anyone know the next part of that? It was something like... I got it in grade three. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so great because, of course, we did all go to Woolworths and buy our. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I got mine from Kmart, Super Kmart. <laughs> Target, Target also sold them. I, I can confirm that. Am I the only one when I see a skivvy in the shop? Their song plays in my head. I go skivvies, yeah. oh, and uh, I can't stop it. Am I the only one? No, no, no. no. <laughs> People. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just happened to reach out to one of the band members of the Sharp, and that is the drummer of the Sharp, Pete Collins. And I sent him the video, and I got his response. So this is an exclusive chat to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, 
all about his thoughts on the music clip as well as some other bits and pieces. Now, before we get into what I want to talk to you about really, which is the sharp, apparently you have a bit of history writing uh, with Neighbours. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So 10 years actually, which is pretty amazing to think about. So uh, I know that the show has met its demise now, finally after 40 years, which was quite incredible really so i was there from 97 to 2007 uh, as a script writer storyliner i did a little bit of story editing while i was there for a minute uh, but it was it was a fantastic time it was, a, it was such a fun time and such a great bunch of people to work with it was a friend of mine Marik hardy who's a very clever woman she was working at neighbors at the time and i just left the shop and um I sort of wondered if I could have a go at it and I gave it a, you know, they gave me a two week trial and the two weeks turned into 10 years. And it was um, such a, it was a, just an awesome time, an amazing time. You joined the Sharp in 1991 with Alan Catlin and Charlie Rook. You released the 1992 EP, uh, Spinosity. And in 93, the debut album, This Is The Sharp. Now from this album, there were three singles. You had Train of Thought, well, that, that is a personal favourite of mine, uh, Scratch My Back and Yeah, I Want You. Now, all, while all the songs are awesome on the album, uh, the singles did well and the album did chart extremely well on the Arias. Now, while you have already made a name for yourselves, on Saturday night, the 25th of September, 93, a music sketch had played on ABC TV late at night, uh, <laughs> lampooning his song and video to Scratch My Back. Now, were you watching the show at the time? No, God, no, no, no. I, I was probably, we were probably doing a gig. You know, we, we used to do crazy amounts of gigs. I, I think one year we did 320 gigs in one year. You know, that only, that only leaves 40, 40, 40 days left of the year, you know, 45 days. Yeah, anyway, um, so we were very, very busy. But I remember hearing about it very, very soon after it happened and watching it and just thinking it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And also what a great compliment it was to, to get from a bunch of comedians who we were huge fans of, you know, like if you were living in Melbourne in, in the early nine, early to mid nineties, you were, you were going to be a fan of the DJ or you were going to be a fan of the late show. Everyone I knew loved it. We loved it. Um, and to see them take the time and trouble to take the piss out of us was uh was so, so amazing, you know, and we, we, we bumped into Jane Kennedy uh, probably a few weeks after the, the, uh, the clip aired and she was like, oh, she's really sort of apologetic. I'm really sorry. I hope, I hope you guys weren't offended. And we, and we were like, oh, are you kidding? So, so she was actually a, a big fan of the band. So it was a sort of a mutual love situation, I suppose. With your original music clip, Scratch My Back, who was the costume designer for it, if you can remember? Oh, my God. I, I absolutely no idea. It probably would have... Look, it was shot at uh, Channel 10 from memory, shot at the Channel 10 studios. It would have been someone in-house, I'm sure. The whole piss take of Scratch My Back, Skivvies Our Back, do you think it was too much of an easy target? Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if you're going to... I mean, look, you, you look at the other ones they did, like... Um, Melbourne cliches, you know, the, the things of stone and wood. Well, of course that's going to be the subject, subject of your parody because, you know, there are Melbourne cliches in that song. You know what I mean? So you're going to, you're going to take the piss out of what, whatever is the most obvious thing 
you know, on, on a comedy sketch show, you've got 30 seconds to be funny and, and only slightly more time to produce the damn thing. So you've got to get in, get hard, get funny and get out again. What do you think about Santo playing you on the drums? Oh, Santo's great. I love Santo, you know, and, and he, the only sort of signature thing I do on the drums tends to be that kind of stiff kind of movement, which I'm so, I'm, I've finally gotten over. But, uh, you know, again, someone like Santo, I'm a huge fan of. All, all of those guys, you know, we, we grew up with them. Rob Sitch, you know, Santo, Jane Kennedy, Nick Malloy, they really are very talented, very funny people. Do you have uh, any of the fans, like when you've done performances, because the band took a break at about 95, correct? And then you've come back a couple of we times. We did, yeah. And then uh, we did it. Oh, it's very hard for me to remember, but I think it was about 10 years ago we we did a little few shows and then before that we did one at the Hi-Fi Bar. So there's been sort of two sort of, Reemergences, but um, that's that's been about it. You guys aren't together now, are you? So you don't have any plans to reunite for any anniversaries or anything? Oh, uh, look, it's it's we sort of missed the thirty-year anniversary because of COVID. I think the only way that we would do something would be, and your your show has actually sort of given me the inspiration to do it. Would be if there was if we could somehow do a, a show that involved us, Frente, and um, things of stone and wood, <laughs> you know, apart from the, the late show piss take connection, it really, that those three bands at that time. So there was probably us, bad loves, chocolate, starfish, frente, things of stone and wood, and a few others that was sort of getting popular and getting some traction in the kind of early to mid nineties. And I think if, if there was a promote, if it was, look, if a, prom- a promoter put on a show, where those three or four bands could appear, I think it could be like a fun thing to do. If you've checked YouTube lately, you have your original video clip of Scratch My Back and then you have the parody and the parody has more hits than your own. Uh, Look, that doesn't surprise me, honestly. I'm not not offended by that. Look, I think think the the thing that that, uh, I'm appreciative of is that you know, because YouTube is uncensored, you know, like people can write whatever the hell they want. And some some of the comments that some people write about some of the bands and the artists that I've known over the years and played with are really offensive and appalling. Uh, but generally people have been fairly kind to us and I think that's that's a nice thing. He's still got it. Oh, he does. The, the cool part is that I love the fact that he would love to form a mini concert or a mini performance thing with Frente and uh, things of stone yeah. wood, just like a reunion thing. It needs to yeah. be called the Skivvies Are Back Tour. <laughs> yeah. But funnily enough, the Regurgitator were actually playing at Moravin Town Hall this weekend or next weekend, I can't remember. And so that would be a perfect thing if they all got together. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I will, I will say too that there is a video version of that interview and it's a lot longer because he actually plays a couple of other songs as well. He actually quizzes me. Um, so that will be up on the champagnecomedy.com YouTube channel. 
thank you so much, Pete, for having a chat. I really do appreciate that time. It's great that he actually doesn't mind at all and he, he really likes the fact that they, they... It may well get more positive comments than his original video, but he just doesn't mind and he's just a really good sport about it. And they did write the the song, the iconic song that got the, the piss taken out of it. I mean, you got to get credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> Now we're back to the couch and we have Jane uh, talking about Poppy King's uh, new range of lipstick. I guess I was one of those girls who had the lipstick in a purse or whatever it is that they talk about. That was one of those, the matte lipsticks that were all the rage, the big colours and um, I remember buying buying some but they really dry your lips out. <laughs> yeah, I remember owning Poppy. I remember owning Yardley which is really embarrassing. <laughs> Yeah, not a groovy brand at all. <laughs> but but Poppy King was sort of known for being this kind of, you know, exciting young early 90s female entrepreneur and, and all of her lipsticks had really inspirational names and so forth. And Judith takes the piss out of these lipsticks mm. um, with, with lipsticks named after words that I suppose are, are more... Um, Relevant to, I guess, the the ordinary average punter, as it were. So, so she's got hypochondria, and she's got worthless, and and various um, lipstick names like that, which is um, her kind of piss take on on Poppy King. And really, it it then kind of goes into a sort of basically a kind of anti anti beauty, anti fashion, anti um, plastic surgery type sketch, um, where she she talks about other things that she's brought out. Um, she's brought out an aftershave called Confusion. Um, <laughs> She's bought out a perfume called Pissed Off. That's a great um, perfume. I'd buy that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would definitely buy Pissed Off. Um, and, and then she just talks about these kind of really cheap-ass kind of bad ideas for plastic surgery. Like, um, you know, instead of breast implants, you just put some freezer bags in. And uh, you, you want collagen implants? She'll punch you in the mouth. And um, anyway, that, that's basically what the sketch is. It's kind of an anti-beauty sort of piss take, really. Yeah, and they just reverse things up so when you've got the before and after photos, the before was someone really skinny and the after was someone a little portly, I guess, and then yeah. the receding hairline was the before and after was reversed. And that was a satisfied customers. Satisfied customers include Kerry Packer, of course. Yeah. And then there was a disgruntled member of the audience. I don't know if Julie heard anyone actually yelling. <laughs> who was, who was, someone was protesting the whole Kerry Packer reference, sorry, if they, if they, uh, if you recall. No, I didn't hear any of that. I was at yeah. the back of the studio by that time, so uh, it all went over my head. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a really weird moment, wasn't it? Because it, it it sounded like someone was pro Kerry Packer in the audience. You're thinking, apart from yeah. maybe Kerry Packer's close relatives, who's pro Kerry <laughs> Packer? <Yeah. laughs> someone from Channel Nine. Yeah, quite pro- Channel Nine's publicity person. And anyway, the the conclusion of the sketch is is that you know um, if you really don't want to look good, I know who dresses the male members of the Late Show, uh, which <laughs> which is a reference to the kind of slightly daggy interpretations of early. 90s fashion that some of our our favorites are are sporting yeah it's nice to know that they actually recognized it as bad fashion because we we brought it up a few times pressing pause on on the vhs um i did notice that the male cast members of, of the late show are in um uh pretty good company uh so yeah it was a cutout from the sunday age life section the 50 all-time fashion disasters according to the experts and uh along with the male uh, late show members the repeat offenders were people like Eileen Bond, ex-wife, 
Coral Knolls socialite. They seem to put all their occupations or non-occupations next to their names. Uh, Lillian Frank, hairdresser. Daryl Summers, television host. Rose Hancock Porteous, wife. Yeah. <laughs> Danny Minogue, singer. Susan Renouf, socialite. And the cast of Neighbours. The whole cast of Neighbours. Yeah, including Mountain. Yeah. <laughs> it's sketch time. And what a sketch this is. All because of that one article or that one incident or <laughs> trial, whatever yeah. you want to call it. From in, the- in the previous episode, we were talking about the, the Wimmera town of Antwerp and how there'd been an exorcism in that town, um, which had sadly resulted in the death of a woman. And and this seems to have inspired this sketch in which Frank and Tina Martin um, are exorcists, suburban exorcists. Yeah, totally cash, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I did love, and by the way, the exorcists are played by Mick and Judith. Now, I did get a kick out of, and I'm surprised that it actually got through the ABC filters, really, the censorship, uh, this moment when they're on the phone taking a booking. Are you possessed, are you? <laughs> by whom? Beelzebub. All right, hang on one second. Bloody Beelzebub. Mm, 20% off all Beelzebub deals this month only, Dale. I reckon we can do that for 120 bucks. Hey, what did I tell you? Hey, we won't be beaten on price, yeah. Okay, see ya. Sorry, what was that? <laughs> yes, your mother sucks cocks too. <laughs> He can can say sucks cocks after 10pm on a Saturday night, can't he? They've really earned their adult humour and their Yeah, where's where's the woman saying adult humour? Chuck her in at this point. We wish to advise that the following edition of The Late Show is rated M and contains adult humour. So, uh, yeah, this was not a bad sketch at all where they just, it's more documentary follow camera style of Frank and Tina Martin. They go through the house. The bathroom is just covered in blood because <laughs> <laughs> there was one person, or there was a claim that Frank said that uh, he was trying to help out a guy who thought he was possessed by Simon Townsend. By the spirit yeah. of Simon Townsend. The yeah, the spirit, spirit yeah. With his little inane giggle, as they say. In the sketch. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking, this sketch is so great because it starts off as a fairly great idea like let's let's take the idea of these two suburban exorcists and make them very mundane they're running a little small business mum and dad sort of <laughs> cottage industry but then they inject it with some really fucking bizarre things right <laughs> there's the whole oh, i'm possessed by maury field Sorry, I didn't say that very well. <laughs> well, I'm possessed by the spirit of Mori Fields. Now, you certainly it's Mori Fields. Oh, yeah, yeah, because sometimes in mid-sentence, I stir a wreath, you bloody oh. fuck off. <laughs> 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 This is this is where um, Mick was talking on the radio last year about how they'd originally wanted to do B one and B two in the morning, and they yeah. they couldn't get permission from the ABC, so they went with Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse. <laughs> but they look like the Aldi version of Mickey and Minnie Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> really, yeah. those masks very much so. <laughs> this sketch is an Easter egg on the Barge House and Olden Days DVD, 
And yeah, they do put up on the screen. Yeah, please note we were trying to put B one and B two here. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. So that so that there you go. Double double verify. I've got a good giggle out of the um, the holy water. Yeah, Rob does a really great spit take. And apple ties is disgusting, isn't it? Blech. It's just fizzy apple I, juice, isn't it? I, I don't mind apple ties. It's all right. I mean, I'd rather, rather have a bottle of champagne. But, or a cider, know. even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also love there's a shot of a Dick Smith answering machine, which is just, I don't even think it's from the 90s. I feel like it might be from the early 80s. <laughs> Hello, it's Dave here, and I think I'm Bruce Springsteen. Could you call me back on 630 or at work on six nine eight two three nine four. It's Roger. Hello, Gus Mercurio here. I'm not messaged by the devil. I just sound like I am. Hey, what am I, the big rancher? Yeah, oh, I think it's those little details that really make this sketch just sing. <laughs> Seems like Tony uh, uses this sketch as an excuse to get away with some of his impressions. Yes. Yeah. I do like the end bit where they go, night, Tina, and, and then, night, Mori. <laughs> yeah, bloody mongrel. <laughs> they had to sneak another one in there. All right, now it's a live sketch, and this one, oh, I feel like skipping it. Oh, <laughs> I, I have written down on the paper, yellow face, she. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm wondering about this sketch right there? Because they, they announce who wins the Olympics like 36 hours before the late show goes out, okay? So did they have in the tank a Sydney version of this where, where all the Sydney Olympic Committee are sitting around going, oh, no, we lost the Olympics or whatever, right? You know, That is because a good it, question and I don't yep. know the answer to that, but I suspect this sketch was hastily put together in the wake of the announcement and I think that the fact that it's... Uh, Slightly uncomfortable viewing Mm, um, suggests that it was a last-minute addition. Yeah, I I was going to say, how how did you feel watching that again after so long? Uh, So the notes that I made were, hasn't aged well and uncomfortable viewing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. Some some of the issues that they raise are fair game these days. It's, it's, you know, but it's that accent thing and the whole, the the costume that the costume uh, yeah, that's that's yeah. what really kind of undermines what they're trying to get forward in the satire. I, I have one grab which might be okay. Oh, I think our mascot was a little bit harsh too. Oh, what's wrong with Terry the Tank? <laughs> <laughs> what about our logo? Our logo looks great. Come on, doesn't anyone think the tank is lovable? I think I think the IOC's response said it all. Dear Beijing, tanks but no tanks. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> years we've tried to get that joke into a sketch and we're finally done. Back to me. I mean, what, what's the worst thing you can say about that bit is is that it's heavy-handed satire. You know, I I quite I quite actually like the idea of the the wheels in the tank being like the Olympic rings. That's that's funny. <laughs> yeah. That was the only part. The, yeah. the, the absolute corpsing from Tom when every when everybody else uh, gets up to shake his hand. It's just yeah. Mm. They kill the sketch really, or end it when they, as you said, Julie. Every time someone says uh, Sydney's won the Olympics, the big cheer. Yeah, there wasn't really much to this sketch, but I've got the feeling like they felt like they had to comment on it from you know from a losing country's point of view. Yeah, I think I think you're, you're right, Julie. This this does seem to be hastily cobbled together. It is time for. 
But, <laughs> I just, you've only heard that for the first time, haven't you, Prue? And well, obviously, Julie, but <laughs> uh, it is, yeah, Barjas. Um, I dream of Barjas. And it is adapted. Oh, who's it adapted by, Alison? Well, it, it's adapted from the novel by Milan Kundera, the Czech writer who is famous for the incredible lightness of being. Well, and who, who are we going to yeah. get? Yeah, unbear- sorry, unbearable lightness of being. Yes, indeed. Um, Which I and- have here and I've never read. Oh. <laughs> it, it does sound rather impenetrable, doesn't it? Um, the unbearable well lightness of being. Yeah. yeah. Lightness of being is, is obviously what when Barjas kind of uh, farted, he's a, he's a bit lighter. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the episode has a special guest, uh, cricketer Graham Yellop, if you're wondering. This is all about when Barjas is starting his music career, really. Now, starting off with the dream sequence, though. Oh, yeah. yes, yeah, when he's after a bee daiquiri. I, I really wondered about the original episode of Bluey. It seemed like um, Bluey was having a depressive moment, like this whole thing where he's dropped out of work and he's at home drinking beer for breakfast and his co-workers are coming around to see if he's okay. Like, once again, I really want to see Bluey. <laughs> we, we will be recapping it. <laughs> on, the, on the other hand, like, if you notice the, the bit where the woman in the bar says to him, your place or mine, the actress genuinely is saying that in Bluey. So, you know... <laughs> Yeah, I had to watch that and thought that lip sync does match up, doesn't it? What about beer daiquiri? Did that <laughs> did that match up? <laughs> no. <laughs> maybe, maybe she was saying, I'll have a shandy. <laughs> the Barge Ass episode then sort of merges into Barge's new single apparently coming out. Don't break my ass, but Bargy Wargy ass. I don't think my pants would understand. And if you break <laughs> It adds an extra level of realism when we're finding we're listening to the audio of the audience from the episode as well. Yeah, yeah. It really was an inspired lyric to say, "I don't think my pants would understand." (laughs) (laughs) So, is that all? That was all genuine laughter. Then, Julie, everyone was reacting in real time. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we were all laughing, so you can't blame them. (laughs) (laughs) I I love the fact that they referred back to when it's the Baji Waji ass is getting airplay, that they reused the clip from last week's episode (laughs) where they're doing the polka. Yeah, the radio thing. (laughs) The radio rebels. (laughs) My favorite joke of all time in this (laughs) episode is when he's standing at the piano and he's like, where are the bloody keys gone? And then he sits there. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good fat joke, isn't it? <laughs> now, also, there's a little bit of a, I don't know what you might call it, a pedantry and annoyance. Pedantry. On the, on the, the DVD. So there's a, a joke where um, uh, Anne Burke uh, asks Barjas, is that a Naji shirt? And Barjas replies, no, it's a Baji shirt. And for some reason, the subtitles on, on the, the DVD call it an RG shirt, A-R-G-Y, instead of Naji, which is a brand name, N-A-G-E-E. Did, did Naji block the use of their name for some legal reason? I don't know. I think it's just more that the subtitle writer probably didn't know what Naji was. 
Yeah, possibly. You think they'd check it though, wouldn't you? The subtitles. Someone would go. Yeah, cons- it. considering how fastidious Tony Martin is with his DVDs, I'm surprised he didn't pick it up. We're on stage now, and Tom has announced that they're going to Sydney to do a show next week. Oh, how about that? And in order <laughs> to get your tickets, I don't remember them announcing this at all, unless it was uh, printed somewhere. It was somewhere. only broadcast to Sydney, like all the other uh, Melbourne. Could it be on radio or whatever like that. Um, yeah, because I remember just being such a huge fan, but it's my memory is just blanked out in, in terms of remembering to to apply for tickets or anything like that. But I know that you were meant to to send in some a photo of yourself with someone famous, and at the time I'm thinking, who have I got a photo of myself with someone famous? So I must have heard about it from somewhere. The only famous person I'd met at that point, which I had a photo with, was sadly. Um, Rolf Harris, which <laughs> was about 11. <laughs> about 11. That <laughs> age, Mel. Yeah, that did not <laughs> But I probably I, would have got yeah. tickets, though. Oh, I texted yeah. my friend uh, Kaneo asking her, did, did you remember applying for tickets? And she, that's when she talked about how it was her idea that they come to Sydney in the first place. As we'll see next week, they were in her um, – she was living in Marrickville at the time, which is where they did the street, where Mick and Tony did the street interviews. So – We'll talk more about that next episode. But, yeah, I remember watching this and being highly disappointed that none of this pile of stuff that they're reading out had anything to do with what my friends and I wanted to do, which was to get on the show. <laughs> so I'm very envious of Julie. I'm glad I can live vicariously through your experience. Today. We all are. <laughs> but there's an important detail here that we're missing and that Tommy says, I'll be going with Jane and then turns his cheek around and he's got a lipstick kiss on it. Now, you yeah. know, and, and people mock me for saying that I thought that Tommy and Jane were a thing because here's direct evidence, guys. Yeah. <laughs> he was doing it just for you, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, see, I had reason for thinking this. <laughs> uh, but they did sort out the, the piles of letters too, one with celebrities and one of Jonathan Coleman, so... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Ballet, Jono. All right. But, but, but also, there's a there's a letter from the brother of, of Greg Cutcliffe. Cutcliffe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Who was one of the toilet break. Um, he was the toilet break guy who sort of, at the end, he kind of jumped around. Yeah. And sort of landed. As Leave me lovely. alone. Yeah. yeah. Guy. Leave me Leave alone. That. <laughs> <laughs> and then he did the big jump. <laughs> Great stuff. Speaking of toilet break, we have Act 6, Rita Eldridge. Now, Rita reminds me of my kindergarten teacher. Just that, you know, the piano playing. Anyway, here it is. Those little yeah. laughs are when she's just grinning away, occasionally just reminding herself, oh, I should smile for the judges. Exactly. Rita, Rita Eldridge is basically every every single person in the 90s who had a maiden aunt or a piano teacher. Yes. <laughs> or, or that sort of slut. That, that weird woman from the end of the road, that, that's Rita Eldridge. And wearing yeah. uh, Miller's Fashion Club you know, clothing. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I thought that might have been Joy Reen, perhaps. <laughs> oh, Ad- Adelaide's own Joy Reen. <laughs> That's Sadly, obscure. Look it up. I think. Oh, but but I, I imagine that there are some Joy Reen ads on YouTube that people can look for. It was it was it was it was very very much uh, yeah dresses for the for the older woman. 
<laughs> yes, going going to a wedding possibly. It, it was a very it was a very mother of the bride type fashion at Joy Reid. I got a lot of power of the dog vibes off this act. It was like, well, this could go anywhere. Like <laughs> woman who knows how to play happy show tunes, like they're gonna eviscerate her. I was like holding my breath. <laughs> And yeah, she's she's sort of doing that very nineteen eighties kind of thing in which she's she's essentially she's playing a medley. So like all all I'm thinking of as she's going from one song to another is you know things is, is things like hooked on classics, hooked on swing, yeah. stars on forty five, but without the drum beat, without the do 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 do. And that's exactly that thud clap, thud clap, thud clap. Yeah. yeah, and that's why Bernard just uh, in his comments he says, "Well, you'd be great with a few other people accompanying you. We could release some albums and on KTL Records." Yeah. <laughs> He also also calls her your dear old thing. She must have lots of happy people gypsy tapping around her large room every time she tinkles away like that. Your dear old thing. Why don't you get a good sax player? We've got one here is available in a minute. And a nice little old drummer and a banjo player there. And make records. KTEL would sell thousands of them. Yeah. Especially if you do your own commercials too. That always adds a touch of something you should have said quite. 21, darling. 21. 21. Oh, wow, there's so much what the hell is gypsy tapping though? Yeah, I need to know what gypsy tapping is. But also, what was that underhanded comment to the saxophone player? We've got one that will just become available uh, very soon now. <laughs> the saxophone oh, player is like, excuse me, I did not volunteer. <laughs> there's, an aw- there's an awful lot of sarcasm in Bird's um, sort of re- remarks there, yeah. isn't there? Especially, yeah. especially the, uh, well, as we've learned from commercial crime stoppers, yes, appearing in your own ad. Yeah, I think that was the, the mean part of it. Like, clearly she's not. She's not going to be made for ads. <laughs> well, Rita's album is sitting right next to the Panpipe Classics. <laughs> and uh, 20 Inappropriate Love Songs. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, 21. That, what a score. It is, Matt. Uh, that puts uh, Rita Eldridge with her piano medley uh, in sixth place. Sixth. So, uh, yeah, just, uh, just behind uh, Greg Cutcliffe, uh, who we just mentioned earlier, uh, in fifth. Get the spreadsheet out and... Uh, no, t- I just... I, I, I add to it week, week by week. And I think I might have accidentally put her sixth when I should have put her fifth. Cause, yeah, in yeah front sure, of her, surely she's got... better than Greg Cutcliffe. Yeah, it's going to say better than Greg, but uh, probably Piffy's oh, still... Only slightly ringing. Greg Cutcliffe got 22. Love Greg. Ooh. Oh. Leave me alone. <laughs> uh, no, I'm right. It, uh, she, she, she is six. So, yeah. Uh, wow. Six reader Eldridge... Uh, fifth, uh, Greg Catcliffe. Fourth, uh, Ian Evans with uh, that mystifying performance. Uh, <laughs> Darren Schutz with his magic act. Second, Alan and Brenda. And first, um, well, you know his name, Piffy. We'll move on to the couch and we've got lookalikes. I'll send out images of this because that's just too hard to explain other than the fact that I did try to search and seek the that specific cover of Juice magazine where he got... Kurt Cobain looking look a lot like Rob Sitch. Yeah, I bought that edition of Juice magazine just for that exact reason. Unfortunately, I don't have it with me, <sighs> but it's in a box somewhere in Adelaide. I remember subscribing to Juice and getting a copy of um, the Beastie Boys. Couldn't that be possible? Wasn't that 94? I don't know, but I had a subscription. <laughs> yeah. I had one as well. I had that that, that um, edition where they interviewed the DJ as well. 
But I, I did love the fact that they showed the clip of a Tony Martin lookalike oh, in a creepy know. Australia's Most Wanted reenactment. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah, the syringe stabber. In a toilet block. Yeah. I love the way Tony keeps a straight face when they're describing him as a man with a pale, sickly complexion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the next bit here is more or less Judith throwing to or trying to integrate this kid the producer's son, quote-unquote, Darcy, uh, which the team had to babysit. Now, Julie, who was Darcy? I had never met Darcy, so I can only take them at their word that it was uh, the producer's son. Damn, I was hoping for more, but not all good. <laughs> <laughs> he was the other work experience kid I had to get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were in the audience, Julie, how many of the sketches were things that you had already been aware of and how many were kind of new? About half. Um, I think that um, the nature of having a live comedy show and not really knowing how long all your sketches are going to go for meant that they had to have um, a bank of pre-recorded sketches. And I think that sometimes they just, uh, you know, had to really run down to the wire and include certain ones at the last minute and swap them Mm -hmm. um, in and out. So, uh, you know, the sketches that I was involved in um, ended up being sort of peppered through uh, the next few weeks, which, you know, was great for me because there was a lot of... uh, um, bragging rights uh, in the uh, high school um, playground. But, um, but yeah, I actually hadn't seen the, uh, the Darcy sketch um, until it was broadcast live that night. But uh, if the location nerds are interested, uh, I pretty much tracked uh, where all of these different things uh, were filmed. So the first one, Tony taking him to see Reservoir Dogs. So I'm pretty sure that must have been the classic cinema in Elstonwick and uh, it was not really a distinctive location, but uh, I'm betting that just from proximity that it was right uh, near their office. By the way, Darcy is roughly about 9, 10 years old, so you've got to put that in the context when you think about these things. So Jane uh, uses Darcy for celeb spotting at lunch and pretending to be a socialite. Now, that's so, in St Kilda. That's definitely St Kilda, isn't it? That yeah. definitely is the uh, you know, very well-known McDonald's uh, on the mm. corner of Ackland Street uh, in St Kilda. Uh, what I loved about this as well is that uh, Jane gives the most 90s lunch order anyone has ever had. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The yeah. Anti, anti-pasto focaccia. Oh, my God. I actually, I wrote it down because I loved it so much. Sun-dried tomatoes, black olives, anchovies, and roasted peppers on focaccia. The 90s in a sentence. Yes. Uh, Yep. And the funniest thing is actually she's technically sitting out the front of a restaurant at the time, which would have been Greasy Joe's. (laughs) She would have had a fat chance of getting those things. She would have had a burger and fries. Uh, So Rob uses him for prank calls. So I'm guessing this will be inside the home. Yeah, it looks like uh, just some uh, nondescript home. Um, It could have even been the same location that they filmed the uh, very opening sketch. Uh, Santo makes him watch the World Cup history or World Cup story of 1990 when he wants to watch Home Alone. Again in a home location. Tommy G is making him use the chainsaw for yard work. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the same house again. (laughs) Jason is making him clean out the insulation, uh, finding asbestos. (laughs) He makes him eat it too. (laughs) (laughs) And Mick has taken him to the pub for beers. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think it is actually the Prince in St Kilda, that pub. Bloody hell, that's impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and Judith reads him Backlash, uh, the undeclared war against American women by <laughs> Susan, is it Fal- F- 
Balduy? For, for Ludi, I think Ludi. it is. Yeah, um, an early 90s feminist classic which basically argues that all of the gains made by the feminist movement in the 70s are, are being rolled back as, as early as the early 90s, and certainly she was very true about that one. That's a good bedtime story for a child. Well, may, maybe not appropriate for a 10-year-old boy, but, you know, <laughs> start him young, get get him into feminism and, and understanding the roles of gender. <laughs> <laughs> This is a really cute sketch. I find it very, um, it's it's quite authentic, isn't it? I mean, it just has this vibe that Darcy probably is, you know, the producer's son because he's sort of got this natural kid vibe. But there's a couple of things that he does really well. That He's quite a good little actor, when, particularly in the um, pub with Mick. When Mick goes, there you go, you can have that. And he's got this pint and he just sort of looks around <laughs> furtively while he starts to sip it. Like, oh, for a kid, he's done quite a good job there. But you can also tell that he's just a kid. Like he's not, I mean, he may have very well been an actor just like piss wet kids, but, you know, it's got a very authentic vibe. Yeah, I think he's a great actor, and he's that little eye roll when uh, when she's with, when he's with Jane, and they're about to encounter Marcus Graham. Just when he puts the sunglasses on, and he's just a bit fed up with it all. That's really <laughs> funny. And just all the thing, the scenarios too are very much in line with their personalities, apart from Jason's and Tom's, which is a classic kind of joke. <laughs> the other ones are like, yeah, you can imagine Santo boring the shit out of you with like hours and hours of soccer videos and you know it was great you could you could really imagine mick uh, uh complaining that it's light beer <laughs> <laughs> it's time for graham and the colonel and uh hey once again sydney's won the olympics wow wow that's wow. all i've got to say wow wow sydney to host the 2011 <laughs> I warned. I know, my mistake. I warned, and uh, that's a complete misuse of paper products. (laughs) I'm sure by then you're out of streamers and stuff. I think there must have been a bottomless supply of them, and uh, (laughs) that cheer really says it all, that uh, people did not run out of steam with the cheering. (laughs) They also do a throwback to September 11 episode where they actually predicted Sydney will win. All right, okay, we didn't didn't pick his exact mispronunciation. (laughs) But five jingos were in the right ballpark. We thought it was going to be Sydney, instead he says Sydney. Sydney. It's like he's got a language all his own. The beautiful, the beautiful it? language of Samaranch. I reckon kids should learn Samaranch as a second language at school. <laughs> so, and see, that's where um, when we had the, uh, it was episode 33 with Natalie Bohensky where uh, they were talking about Sydney and apparently that was a late show thing when he actually doesn't say Sydney. It's just all Sydney. Yeah. And, and the whole references last week is, is pretty much what we all went by years and years later, even though this particular episode is where they clarify that he doesn't actually say that at all. We all just assume that he said Sydney. <laughs> it's one of those uh, urban myths that just keeps going on and on. Now, they believe it was the video presentation that influenced the victory. Even Graham and the Colonel's video was up for play, which is basically their opening <laughs> montage, but with uh, fanfare oh, for the comedy. ABC type sports coverage yeah with, <laughs> yeah with, with fanfare for the common man playing all the sports curling coits. <laughs> yeah, <keep> <laughs> those women with the kind of cut down <laughs> and the bow ties <laughs> uh, they do mention while 
11-year-old Tanya Blanco was impressive with her speech. Imagine if it was done by the kid they originally wanted, Nathan Cavalieri. Now, your connection, uh, Kim, there is you went to school with Oh, yes. We'll talk about this uh, probably the next episode in more detail. But uh, Tanya Blanco ended up going to my school. Um, I was in year 11 when this this aired, and in year 12 she joined the school so so the word on the street was tanya blanco is going to join our school in year 12 and we were like what is this real and yes there there she was and stifled giggles galore whenever we saw her walk past and thinking this is us tanya blanco and the whole like oh <laughs> uh, yeah the hand gestures thing that uh, jane does in the next episode um but there's a i've got video footage of uh, our swimming carnival in year 12 where uh, we basically did a, a practical joke that she was in on. And they basically uh, took her hostage and <laughs> and just had like a water pistol and then we're kind of using that as kind of, um, we have Tanya Blanco, we have your Olympic ambassador and you have to do what, I, what, we, what we say. Um, but we'll <laughs> we'll play a little bit of that footage next time. Also, Graham and the Colonel were IOC delegates, uh, but they did vote for Beijing as they had already taken the bribe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Istanbul screwed up their presentation as they used clips from Midnight Express. Now, I don't get that reference. I've never seen Midnight well, Express. let me tell you about Midnight Express very quickly. Uh, Midnight Express is a film from the 70s in which an American is um, jailed in Istanbul and the the prison, there are very, very bad conditions in the prison and it's very violent. And, yeah, it's, it's really touch and go whether he gets out of this prison or not. And, and it's a... It's quite a horrific film, but, yeah, very, very acclaimed film of the era. Gotcha. With the Sydney presentation, they got the King's Cross nightclub grifters, <laughs> that, you know, the ones that stand out front yeah. of uh, strip clubs. Yeah. What Robert yeah. Santo do when they're impersonating those grifters is funny, isn't it? It's like, come on, come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're like the guys on Ligon Street in Melbourne who try and drag you into their Italian restaurants. As yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> a bit more wholesome, their reasons. And then there was uh, an NRL Broncos versus St. George final halftime entertainment Tina Turner joke there, which I'm not going to repeat. Oh, yeah, that was bad, wasn't it? Yep. That whole thing sucked. Mm-hmm. Mm. So we'll just move yeah. on from that. <laughs> yeah. Like the speed of light. <laughs> product of its time. A product of its time. You haven't heard that for a while. I am familiar. Yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're on stage again and Mick... Uh, you know what, they just wrap up the show, but I just love the fact that they go full double take crazy. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Tony nearly puts himself in hospital. <laughs> no. We have to yell out strongly and loudly, whiplash, whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tony's head nearly falls off. No, no. I do love it at first when he comes out and goes, this body is solely the result of jazzercise. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, it's it's good it's good to see Tony at the end as well because um, yeah, because of all the makeup, uh, we haven't seen a lot of him in this episode. That is true. Yeah, how fast do you think it would have been for him to take that off? I think it probably didn't take very long because uh, you know it's just a matter of uh, just grabbing the edge and ripping it off like a banana peel. Oh, just like the fly. <laughs> 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 so you couldn't have taken that back as work experience even here. <laughs> that's, 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 that's a very creepy yeah, here, Only if you had a, a certain liking for Tony in that manner. Oh, I did not. It's like Leatherface. <laughs> this is like the Abbott 
turd in in um, uh, Priscilla Queen of the Desert. <laughs> well, I wish I had done that now. <laughs> you had three opportunities. To do it. <laughs> yeah, they revealed the closing finale, the musical finale, and they just skip straight to it. They just forget That's the setup. Yeah, they're just like, oh, our producer's just gone. Oh, yeah. Townsend. Yeah, according to an email from a listener, I don't have the email here. I'm so sorry. I've forgotten your name. Uh, I think it was Scott. My apologies. Um, that he did talk to Jane about this, and then this might have been the one that might have had the certain issues. But this is instead of Pete Townsend from The Who, there was Simon Townsend. Yeah, there's a very strong Greg Cutliffe um, kind of vibe to this, isn't it? You know, the fact that he's he's both out of tune and then he comes in slightly late as well. Yes, off key and off the beat. <laughs> yeah. Now, we don't see, we only see a, a tiny little snippet in the best ofs, right? Mm. But you never saw who was actually behind Simon and that was, I don't know if you, any of you saw it, but it was yeah, Tony, I Mick and this. Alf doing backups. At first you just see Mick and Tony as the backup singers and then you see a wider shot and Alfie's there as well. Were you there during the filming at all, Julie? Not that one. I was actually there for the filming of uh, Rex Hunt's <sighs> rendition of Get It On, which uh, you guys <laughs> talked about last week. So uh, what you don't see uh, in the DVD is um, Jane was actually, uh, you know, really spearheading the operation and um, all of the lyrics were written on huge sheets of cardboard and uh, the cardboard was in front of Jane and she was coaching Rex and I assume she coached everyone who, uh, you know, um, came along for the musical mix-ups. She uh, points to each word and, uh, you know, she is coaching so hard to the point of, like, willing them to, uh, to get it right and, uh, you know, and, and acting it out and really emoting. And uh, so uh, when I was there for the Rex filming, it was my job to stand really close behind Jane and hand her the cue cards in order. So, uh, you know, I imagine it was a really two-person job to uh, try and coach the celebrity into um, getting all the words right. Awesome. What a wonderful work experience experience. Like, so much better than my nursing home experience where they (laughs) (laughs) go and shower those eight people. (laughs) I mean, that sounds good too. It really I don't think that was even legal at the time. (laughs) One was just simply working in a school canteen handing out sausage rolls. (laughs) That one wins. Well, the, oh, see, I, I thought I won because I did. I went to an advertising agency, which sounds exciting, except that what I had to do was cut out the ads they'd placed in the paper and stick them onto other pieces of paper with glue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think Julie wins. Yeah, <laughs> best work experience, Julie. Yeah. It uh, set the bar pretty high, but um, the mm. school that I went to, um, you know, it wasn't an elite school by um, any stretch, and they used to warn us that uh, if you didn't organise your own work experience, they would organise it for you at the servo. Oh. <laughs> oh. That's a major threat. The horror. <laughs> yeah. Matt, you mentioned the email that you received about uh, who was hardest to get yeah. to sing on the late show. That was actually sent by Peter Phoebe. <gasps> Peter. Um, Sorry, yeah. Peter. Yeah, his email mentioned that uh, when he asked Jane Kennedy about 10 years ago at a book signing, who was the hardest person to get to sing on the late show? He said that Jane interpreted hardest as in booking wise, which was Joan Kerner. 
and Peter meant hardest as in singing wise, which Jane answered the question with Simon Townsend. And then he adds, I can't reveal the reason why, because it will require a three second beep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting because um, Simon Townsend was quite beloved when I was a kid. Like Wonderworld mm. was the best show. But funnily enough, if you remember 1993, he had this really awful daggy show called TV TV. Yes. Do you remember that? Yes. I, remember being I used to watch that. There was this kid's show for, about TV and it was just this horrible, like, bringing on, you know, industry insiders to promote something and it was no enthusiasm for TV at all. I hated it. <laughs> well, see, also Simon had a little bit of a falling out with uh, the ABC over TV TV as well. Yeah, like, he left it when, in when, when, Yeah, the, the program started out with him as host and then he was sort of brought on more just for interviews, really. Didn't yeah, James that, that Valentine was a good clip. take over the hosting of that? Or yeah. I can't remember who, who, who... It was James Valentine. Yeah, yeah, it was Tony Martin impersonator James Valentine. This isn't uh, Simon's only attempt at singing because uh, there was a, a compilation of, uh, of songs put out, uh, sort of a bit of a Wonderworld tie-in. And, uh, yeah, one of the original tracks was that they got uh, Simon Townsend in to sing uh, a cover of What Else? But uh, Simon says, have a listen to this. Simon says, put your hands on your hips, put your back on the slip. Simon says, Simon says, put your hands on your hips, let your back on slip. Simon says, put your hands on your head. Simon says, bring them down by your side. Well, it's nice and that's only the like extreme, is it? <laughs> <laughs> At least he's in tune. Yeah. <laughs> only just though. And uh, on the beat. <laughs> uh, we, we love you, Simon Townsend. Hope yeah, you're well. Do we? I love the, the game. I still love the game. So Simon says the world's funniest game. You can hear it here rattling. Um, <laughs> but I've had it ever since I was about 10 years old and it's one of those games where you just get together with your friends and you do silly things. You read out cards and you do... Things like you can be a monkey or you can call for cattle and you can put a rape in your mouth and start talking, <laughs> that sort of thing. And you all have to vote. And um, whether you get, if you get more grins than groans and you move ahead three spaces and if you get more groans, you go back a space and you can tell jokes. And it's a whole lot of fun. Um, it's it's out of print, obviously, but I did see it in, an, in a salvos <laughs> in one of my regular kind of travels. Um, but this is my genuine copy. Um, it was going for about $25, so I think it's a little bit of a vintage find. Now, uh, Daniel G., do you have the, any Easter eggs in the credits? Well, uh, there's only two special guests and one I don't remember seeing in the episode. We definitely saw Simon Townsend because his name's running over his own bad scene, but I don't recall seeing Bruce Samazan in the episode. He's the other special guest. You know what? Well, he... He probably was in a sketch which they might have dumped. I reckon so. I reckon there might have been something dumped for time and I'm not quite sure what. Because I don't I don't recall Bruce Samazan appearing in the season elsewhere. Who who's the person that Jane sees when she orders the antipasto focaccia with Darcy? Oh yeah. Marcus Graham. Marcus Graham. Marcus Graham, okay. But also, we don't see him. It's, yeah, you don't yeah. see him. No, no. <laughs> but there's also one other person. Have you got more in the credits? Because I've, I've got one person here which you may not have found. Uh, okay, well, uh, there was also uh, credited uh, Ari Kader, 
uh, Claudette De Silva, Darcy Logan, and Alex Tan. Okay, well, you definitely have missed out on one. Oh, okay. Yeah, the unit assistant. Uh, That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Julie. Yes, I had no idea that uh, I was going to receive any kind of credit. So, uh, yeah, I got a big kick out of that when I saw that broadcast. And uh, <laughs> it really speaks to just how um, inclusive the environment was. Um, you know, and nobody talked about it. It just happened and uh that really shows the tone that uh you know the whole crew really set and uh, they're just wonderful people and uh i felt really welcome oh what a great story yeah how did you spend your lunch times did you hang out with them i i actually tried to leave them alone as much as possible because you know um they were on such a tight schedule that uh you know if they weren't off filming uh, pre-recorded sketches they were you know um in meeting rooms uh, writing the next set of sketches so uh you know i was um, always around and uh, um, I sort of uh, parked myself in uh, like a social table and chairs area uh, near the front door. So I was kind of more uh, saying hi to them as they uh, they came and went. But uh, yeah, I, my mantra for my work experience was, um, you know, don't be a pest, do uh, everything right and uh, stay out of the way. And uh, so uh, that um, that worked pretty well for me. But, uh, but yeah, I didn't try and uh, <laughs> overstay my welcome. Yeah. And, and did this experience uh, influence your current career then? I, I think so. Uh, I ended up getting into advertising, but um, this was a real eye opener for me about um, you know things like um, like teamwork and um, uh, you know getting productions together really quickly. And um, you know I loved the industry in general. I didn't end up in uh, sketch comedy, but yes, I did end up, end up in advertising. Sweet, yeah. excellent. So That's really cool. Because actually, work experience is sort of a thing of the past now. It's really sad. And particularly with the pandemic, it's just fallen off the radar completely. So, yeah. yeah. So, kids don't do it anymore. No. No. Mm. That, that, and, that and also work for the doll is just not as glamorous. All right. <laughs> 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 On that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. That's it for uh, Season 2, Episode 15 of the, sh- of the Late Show and also Episode 35 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. So don't forget to reach out to us. Email champagnelateshow at gmail.com, Twitter at TLS Champagne. Visit our website, champagnecomedy.com, Facebook, a Late Show, as well as search for the Champagne Comedy Podcast group on Facebook. It's on private. Answer the three questions and you're in. Anyway, you, you don't answer. You just do it and I just accept it. Um, so also, um, Julie, thank you for coming on. Like it's been fantastic for you to be on the show. Do you have anything to plug and do you have any quick little stories or snippets that you're in future episodes of uh, or any other sketches other than the It's Academic? Or if you can talk about that if you want, but by all means. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I have to say that uh, this podcast was uh, so important to me uh, in the you know the depths of lockdown. Uh, you know, when we couldn't leave um, more than five k radius, um, I would actually go walking around the neighbourhood and uh, listen to this podcast. So uh, I actually loved the fact the episodes were quite long because uh, the more exercise I got, <laughs> sorry, because of you guys. So uh, that's been super important. Uh, I don't have anything uh, to plug, really. I'm on Instagram. Um, I collect vintage clothing in my spare time, so I can't imagine a huge proportion of listeners uh, will be into it, but uh, I am at Jewels of Melbourne on Instagram if uh, anyone likes vintage clothing. 
in terms of future episodes, uh, I am still yet to be in. Uh, uh, Tommy G does a rap about how he hates basketball. Um, I'm wearing a backwards cap and jostle him at the train station, so you only <laughs> see uh, see my back. Um, and um, of course, I am in the um, it's academic sketch where I don't have any lines, but I just sit there and look smug, which wasn't difficult for me. <laughs> <laughs> You've done better than the other people who have appeared on their dinner sketches and uh, meant to be certain talkative or do certain things but really don't just sit there and do nothing so you've you did a fantastic job nailed it thank you guys (laughs) (laughs) thank you julie and also i just want to say thank you again elson daniel kim and prue for coming back again yeah, thanks. Cool. Excellent. Yeah, time. So, uh, yeah, again, thanks very much for listening and don't forget to enter our competitions. Also, a shout-out to Simon Owens again and Philip Brady. So thanks for being part of that and thank you for listening. My name is Matt. Catch you next time on the Champagne Comedy Podcast. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions at fulton.com.au.